Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posting September 2nd, 2016, we continue our conversation with Anya Kasperson of the WPI Advisory Council and former head of international security for the World Economic Forum. The subject is the second of her two recent posts for the World Policy blog. This one headlined The Global War of Narratives and the Role of Social Media. We'll also point out top features in the current WPJ summer issue. But first, some timely insights from Washington with Paul Brandis, who runs the West Wing Reports News Service. Well, it's Barack Obama's last trip to Asia as president, and the stakes are high. Obama's one-on-one talks with China's President Xi Jinping underscore areas where the two superpowers are cooperating, notably on climate change. China and the U.S. account for two-fifths of the world's carbon emissions, and both say they will implement the Paris Climate Accord reached last year. But the cooperation between Washington and Beijing may May end there. There are deep disagreements over China's construction of bases in disputed regions of the South China Sea. Another big area is cybersecurity. Both sides have enormous cyber capabilities against the other. The question can they actually cooperate? The Chinese have made promises in the past that U.S. officials say have not been kept. Obama will also meet with G20 leaders and in Laos, sit down with Asian leaders where the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal will top the agenda. Obama calls the free trade deal essential for America's future. TPP, by the way, excludes China. In a way, though, it may not matter what Obama thinks since both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump oppose TPP, but Clinton has backed the free trade pact in the past. And not to be cynical about it, there are those who say her opposition to it now will melt away when and if she's elected president. For World Policy On Air, I'm Paul Brandes at the White House. You're listening to World Policy on Air. Now this. Today, essentially, the FSB, the, the, the Russian State Security Service, has come out and with a very strongly worded statement accusing the Ukrainians of essentially sending a sabotage team, the Ukrainian Special Forces, into Crimea uh, to attack what it alleges were targets, infrastructure targets, and the FSB claims that one of its agents was killed in a firefight, and it also claims that there was fighting between the Ukrainians and the Russians the following day, and one Russian soldier was killed. That's why we've had such strong language from Vladimir Putin. But essentially, the Ukrainians are saying this whole story is a fake. Whatever the truth behind that early August BBC report, the Russian cry of terrorist attack and the Ukrainian denial were soon followed by troop buildups by both sides and fears of full-scale fighting that could quickly spread to nearby NATO territory and either mobilize that key Western alliance or prove it more a paper tiger. Later in the month, Russia was suspected of planning false rumors, so-called weaponized information, on social media to block a proposed military partnership between NATO and Sweden, claims that it would bring in secret nuclear stockpiles, permit attacks on Russia without Swedish permission, and exclude NATO troops from local prosecution in cases of rape and other crimes. 
such as the power of narrative spread by a growing army of partisans, sometimes abysmally prejudiced, totally unregulated internet sites and social media platforms, ultimately echoed in questions from concerned citizens and inevitably by mainstream media. The global war of narratives and the role of social media is the headline on another world policy blog post by Anya Kasperson, along with Jean-Marc Riekli, expanding on the earlier Kasperson post we discussed last week about increasingly blurred lines between war and peace in today's high-tech world. Kasperson is a member of the WPI Advisory Council and former head of security for the World Economic Forum, and we were pleased to continue our conversation with her for this podcast. Anya Kasperson, welcome back to World Policy on Air. Thank you so much, David. Excited to be back to continue this important discussion, and thank you for having me again. The creation of strategic narratives is at the core of modern communications in business, politics, even in warfare, you argue. What's the unique characteristic of social media in this context? The unique characteristic of social media is that it empowers and enables individuals to engage in ways unseen before. Social media offers smaller actors the ability and incentives to mobilize violent action against the more powerful in new ways. Less than a decade ago, this kind of technology and ability to shape the minds of many with relatively little effort was only available to the army or to the state. Today, each one of us has in our pockets this technology or at least access to technology that can change the playing field drastically, as we've seen in some cases in life, in business, and in warfare and in in a much higher speed. Today in the Middle East, for example, that I refer to in my article, there are more people with internet and computers than people who have cars. It is important to stress, however, that the propaganda or so-called PSYOP, that is called in the military terminology, is not a new phenomenon in warfare to shape opinions and influence outcomes. However, the e-social media and digital manipulation strategies are being used with on the battlefield, make policymakers, military leaders, and intelligence agencies struggling to keep pace and adapt. And the transmission of information has become omnipresent. Unlike traditional media, social media improves reach, frequency, permanence, and immediacy. It allows for interactive communication between people without spatial limits or time constraints and offers the opportunity to transfer the contact of any messages under any form to anyone on the planet. And this is why I speak about this an amplifier of ideas, be it in the battlefield or in life in general, as a creator of meaning and a generator of conflict as well. Talk about the growing use of social media in warfare in general and as pioneered by the Islamic State in particular to spread its message and gather recruits. So Daesh, or, or ISIS as it's also called, um, not unlike you know, other groups you know, like the cartels in South America that are becoming increasingly tech-savvy, have displayed to many a surprising prowess uh, in using social media, not just to dominate narratives, but create a compelling case of why to join their cause, spread fear, but most importantly, to recruit. And there are a lot of unknowns about this particular group, uh, which is a topic for a later discussion, but one of the things we do know is the importance to this group of recruiting. It's crucial for their success and the maintenance of their footprint, you know, globally and regionally and, and their ranks. And smart use of social media has been a very powerful tool for this group to recruit and mobilize people. Um, and they even recently launched a mobile application exclusively devoted to teaching Arabic to children and through that also recruiting children, which is a very scary development. ISIS also uses social media for disinformation, you say, and for shock and awe to undermine morale. Talk about that. 
Well, ISIS initial strategic successes relied on, you know, filming the execution of local people or people they had captured and distributing the video via social media before launching an attack uh, to gain, you know, support or interest, you know, globally, or as they were launching into a new village or a city, attacking the morale and desire of citizens and opposing forces to resist or expansion influence the outcome. This strategy has since been emulated by other extremist groups, but ISIS was definitely known to pioneer this as, as part of their um, extended force. Israel's military, you say, is the first to use social media as a, quote, force multiplier. When, where, and how? Well, the conflict in the Middle East lived a very public life in the media for a long time. And Israel has also established itself over several decades as a technological advanced actor. The IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, early adoption of technology was initially a reaction to the powerful information and psychological operations that Hezbollah had conducted during the 2006 Lebanon War, and which contributed to Israel's defeat by creating a normative environment depicting Israel's operation as a failure. So very much, if you think of this more in a marketing sense, you know, the brand management social media offers is very powerful. The painful lessons learned and the adaptation of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, as an example that has been emulated since by other armies around the world, including the British Army. Um, late 2009, which is an interesting development, the Israeli Defense Force established an interactive media branch, predominantly with a view of managing the social media feeds to counter Hamas um, feeds uh, around you know, the Israeli occupation. The operation was then called the Pillar of Defense, and this was in no way the only time feuding armed groups used social media in the battlefield, but especially with the Israel-Palestine conflict, it's of such, it's a, it's such nature that it easily grabs headlines and therefore also attracts a, a bigger audience. It was, however, the first time actual physical hostilities were mirrored by cyber-social battles for the hearts and minds at the same time. The conflict was live-tweeted from both sides, each providing their own narrative and trying to undermine the other side in the process. The Israeli Defense Force has since ramped up their technological capacities and sophistication in cyber in general and in social media in particular, and are now world-leading in several aspects. In fact, Israeli Defense Force is probably assumed to have the biggest social media presence of any military worldwide. The global war of narratives is also at the core of so-called net trolls strategies. Tell us what they are and where they've been used most effectively. Well, the net troll strategy is a relatively new phenomenon in the context of international security. Net trolls typically initiate discussions and invite comments so that contents that are deemed offensive or detrimental to the organizations and sometimes even people are buried by friendly and supportive views. It's a manipulation of facts online. The reverse is also true. I mean, recent data suggests that Chinese government fabricates and posts about 448 million social comments a year. Russia has similarly developed advanced natural strategies to secure its geopolitical space, which we spoke about last week, not least seen in its conflict with Ukraine. It's a very important part of, of any hybrid warfare. A perceived lack of progress to counter the narrative war on social media has led to vigilante activism in some cases. Give us some examples. But perceived lack of progress on the part of the formal security establishments um, in this regard has, in several instances, led to vigilante activism. Um, the most known ones are the hacker collective Anonymous, which attacked ISIS cyber capabilities um, you know, over several years, actually, but recently last year and this year. Um, 
by reporting misuse to Twitter, trying to hack accounts that was known to terrorists, and also trying to remove as many accounts as possible to try to force jihadists off the Internet. Similarly, another group called the Gold Security Group, an allegedly group of cyber experts in counterterrorism, uh, conducted intelligence operations and reported suspicious activities to the authorities. Uh, GoSec has claimed to fall terrorist attacks in Tunisia, for instance. And there are other groups that are also doing this, but these are the most known instances of, of new activities that are not sanctioned by governments, but very much run by, by other activist groups with the technological capabilities to, to do something about it. In fact, you talk about a, quote, widening cast of actors, especially those who control the key platforms. Say more about who's involved and how that control has been exercised so far. Well, this quote, the widening cast of actors, is, is very much a way of trying to say that the industries, the businesses, have a key role to play in any counterterrorism and counter-violent uh, extremist effort. And at the core of all of this um, is, you know, some of the key companies that we all know from Facebook to Twitter, YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram. They all become strategic actors on their own. Both Twitter and Facebook have demonstrated the power of their platform through manipulating their users' emotions by changing their newsfeed to pro proving the importance of its platform in countering violent extremism when deciding to audit and close down accounts tied to ISIS last year. Um, Facebook adopted a hardline stance on this last year and removed any and all posts that carry even a trace of suspicious content. Twitter, on the other hand, have tried to strike more of a balance between free speech and cracking down on players that promote uh, violent and extremist content. Uh, and actually, just a couple of days ago, Twitter announced that they suspended the number of 360 suspected terrorist accounts in just a year. So there's a lot of effort going on in the business sector uh, but, you know, as soon as one account is closed down, more tend to appear. Um, so more efforts need to be put into this. And the, my point I'm trying to make is that the private sector engagement to fight modern-day terrorism should not be underestimated and needs to be supported by governments and also strengthened. And you warned developments in the field of artificial intelligence, which we mentioned last week, may soon become more important in the war of words online. Say more about that. Well, AI, um, you know, it's a, it's a complex, I mean, it can be used in, in different contexts in fighting this particular kind of terrorism. But one of the more clear developments in this field is the development of so-called chatbots. Um, chatbots are chatter robots, which is conversational entities relying on artificial intelligence or rather advanced algorithm, which base itself on very on deep learning or machine learning to spread information or in most cases concerted and repeated mis skewed information could also have an increasing role in driving the narratives on the ground. Um, in a lot of cases, chatbots will be used to spread misinformation. A lot of people in the field of chatbot development also argue that well-designed chatbots can be used to fight terrorist organization propaganda through advanced algorithms and recruitment procedures and machinery such as the one of ISIS. So what's your bottom line on the extent of social media in the global war of narratives and what can be done to minimize its destabilizing impact? Well, David, I wish I knew the bottom line on this one. The key thing I think to understand is that individuals and non-state actors have become to a much greater degree, thanks to the digital revolution and the growing importance of social media, also creators of meaning and have the ability to confront and destabilize institutions and missions in ways they didn't before. It follows that the digital transformation of the battlefield requires a much greater awareness of the importance of narratives and shaping perceptions of success and failure. 
and also understanding the actors involved and the capabilities of these actors and the differences between these actors and their motivations. This implies a new form of vigilance by all the involved stakeholders as these narratives can be manipulated, countered, magnified or downplayed by dedicated use of social media. And I was mentioning chatterbots, you know, before. Um, a dedicated strategy would only require the capabilities of a few individuals and hopefully very soon um, some well-programmed and intelligent chatbots to, to support that strategy. Anya Kasperson, thank you. Thank you so much, David. I'm delighted to be back. Anya Kasperson is a member of the World Policy Institute Advisory Council and former World Economic Forum Head of International Security. The Global War of Narratives and the Role of Social Media is the headline on the second of her recent posts for the World Policy blog. Last week we discussed the first, Is Technology Blurring the Lines Between War and Peace? Check it out. Featured in the WPJ summer issue, Renegade Cities, you'll find articles about a black market for water in the Indian city of Chennai, about public-private collaboration for affordable urban housing, at least on paper, and about the problems with plans for a northern powerhouse in Great Britain before and after Brexit. And listen next week when our podcast will feature Pakistani attorney, activist, and columnist Rafia Zakaria on the state of her nation and her recent book about it, Upstairs Wife, An Intimate History of Pakistan. World Policy on Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Christopher Shea, Managing Editor Yafa Frederick, Podcast Producer Matthew DeMello. I'm David Alpern. <laughs>